Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. And actually, for me, a really important thing is the ability to, every now and then, when things do feel quite overwhelming or there's a lot, to step back and say, well, at the end of the day, listen, I was asked to do this job. So some people obviously thought I had something to bring. I am only a human at the end of the day. I'm going to do my very best here, but that is it. And I'm going to say when I can't work it out, I'm going to say if I don't know the answer, I'm going to invite other people to help me find it out. That's Mark Billage, co-CEO of Simon Kucher the global consulting firm focused on delivering measurable revenue and profit growth for their clients. Mark is one of the world's leading experts in pricing and monetization strategy, advising CEOs and company boards, as well as leading private equity firms. He's also a guest lecturer for MBA programs at the world's top business schools. In this episode, Mark shares his experience of the unusual co-CEO construct, the support network that helps him cope the differences in expectations between the generations in the firm, and ways they are building culture in an organization that operates in 30 countries and is growing very fast. Hello, Mark, and welcome to this manageable conversation. Hi, Farley. Thank you very, very much for having me here. Mark, I'm sure there are many things that stand you out from the crowd. But one thing that I'd love to get your take on is this co-CEO construct. How does that work in practice? Yeah, it's not the most common thing, right, to have co-CEOs. I am a a co-CEO of a management consultancy firm, a professional services business, which is a bit different to other kind of CEO roles of sort of rigid corporate structures. We're we're quite a different beast in that sense. So I work with a colleague of mine, Andreas. We decided to be co-CEOs. We weren't asked to be co-CEOs, which I think is also another difference. You do hear it from time to time where sometimes it was either because two people were going to be the boss and neither could decide who should be, so they are both the boss. In our business, the CEO is an elected position by the shareholders and partners, and so we decided to run as a joint co-CEO team, and, and, the, and the partnership saw the value in that. And I think they saw value because in our business, say the CEO is not about taking huge, big decisions on a daily basis. It's actually about managing, facilitating. It's about finding compromise between partners and shareholders and actually Having two is, is is actually quite good for that. Multiple perspectives, also just a bit more bandwidth. From a personal perspective, I have to say, I'd never done anything like that before. And it actually, as I reflect on it now, I'm surprised we don't find this more. We always preach the benefits of teams, that everything is better in a team. Yet when it comes to being a leader, you're supposed to do it all on your own. And I've found huge value in having Andreas in, in quote unquote, my team or our team as someone who you can really, really talk about things that you genuinely can't talk to about anybody else in any kind of leadership role, that you are both in a very, very special team. And that sparring partner, that trusted confidant, you know what they say, you know, a problem shared and all that, it really makes a big difference. So I found huge, huge benefit. Of course, there are some downsides. There's a bit more alignment. There's a bit more requirement to check in and make sure that we are always saying the same thing. And Nine times out of 10, we are anyway. But I think it's a really interesting construct, and I would strongly recommend it to others, I would say. What's your take on how you lead and why you lead that way? I think there are environments and contextual factors that mean a certain style is or isn't successful. Of course, 
there's the style of the person and I have my own style, I think, as a human being. And I've never tried to be sort of a different person as a leader. I think I'm still pretty much authentic me. And that is just by my nature, a bit more diplomatic. I've never been the forcer and the coercer, rather the let's find a way to do things kind of person and the, the compromise finder. And that seems to work because actually the context of the organization I am leading in requires, I believe, that kind of style. Um, as I said, we're a partnership firm. It means my senior leadership team that I sit down with are actually the shareholders and big shareholders in the company. And we can ask, we, su- we can suggest, but it's quite hard to really force in our company and our business model. And, and I love that, actually. And it's a real challenge. We are a democracy in that sense, or a shareholder-based institution where we have to bring people along for the journey. And it's not enough just to force things through. So that does take more time, but I think the end result is very good. But it, it does require a style that works in that context and a listener, someone who's willing to engage, like I said, important word, I think in our business is finding compromise. And I believe most of my job feels to me as being the person to help find compromise amongst a group of people who largely want the same thing, but can get very stuck on detail and trying to elevate conversations, trying to remind people of the bigger purpose and the bigger picture. I'd say the real out and out vision kind of leader. And I know there are these people, I'm always in awe of them, these hyper charismatic people who seem to be able to just to, explain these sunny uplands in just incredible words. I was always a bit more that, right, how are we going to get this stuff done? And leader as, like I say, as the facilitator of the group. And I think that is what our company needs and needed at the time when Andreas and I were appointed, and which is why it fits. Since taking over, what, if anything, has surprised you or what's been revealed as your developmental need? I am still learning every single day in this new role, which I enjoy very much, I have to say. But it's also really hard. For me, some of the biggest things are this elevation to this CEO level. It's kind of obvious, but I was uh, elected as a CEO two and a half years ago. I didn't change <laughs> between the day before the election and the day after the election, suddenly become this superhuman CEO person who knew how to do all this stuff. And I really didn't. And uh, for me, there's this elevation and getting myself out of, I suppose, more comfort zone leadership style from before. So what does that mean? That means somehow letting go of detail a bit and elevating above that like i say trying to show the partnership the whole company we're an organization of 2000 people in 30 countries trying to show them an elevated conversation an elevated vision for our firm all that stuff isn't supernatural that stuff i'm really working on quite hard the other side is also trying to make use of this incredibly privileged position I find myself in now as a CEO, that I have permission to do things I never had before, which is, for instance, to engage with other CEOs, to talk to our clients on a completely like elevated level, not about the details of a project or a product or, or anything like this, but actually to talk much higher than that at a CEO to CEO level. And again, that's something that didn't immediately come naturally and something I'm also working on and and trying to find that. So there's lots to do, but I suppose the common theme of all of this is trying to take a step up as a leader. It's a real developmental path, I would say. You mentioned earlier on, fleetingly, that it's hard. But how do you cope with this hard job, as you characterize it? It's an intellectually rigorous task management consulting. It attracts a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of type. Our product is advice to other very, very smart companies for which they pay quite a lot of money. So there is stress in the system uh, inherently. 
just to chuck in as well, we also grow 20 plus percent most years. So we're a high growth business and growth really stresses organizations. Personally, how do I deal with that? I mean, yeah, a few things. And the first one is something I come back to. We started right at the top of the conversation, working as a team on that stuff and sharing the load. It's a super obvious point. You have to find these confidants, these supporters, these people to help you manage that. And it's not just about sharing the workload per se, but I think it's people that can help you take that step back and and rationalize and contextualize things. And actually, for me, a, a really important thing is the ability to every now and then when things do feel quite overwhelming or there's a lot to step back and say, well, at the end of the day, listen, I was asked to do this job. So some people obviously thought I had something to bring. I am only a human at the end of the day. I'm going to do my very best here. But that is it. And I'm going to say when I can't work it out, I'm going to say if I don't know the answer, I'm going to invite other people to help me find it out. To not carry it all on your shoulders, but to spread some of that around. I also think it's really important to find the fun in work. Awful if you don't really enjoy what you're doing and you're not surrounded by people you can't have some fun with. And again, that's a very personal style for me. I've always, always liked to try and not to be not serious because we're in serious business, but not to take myself too seriously as well and to encourage others not to take themselves too seriously, to have that point, you know, where there is the tension in the room to deflate that and to bring back some kind of, okay, yeah, we are all people sat in the room together. And actually there's some, you know, to try and find the fun in work. But I think that's really important. And then you need people to help you and not just inside the company, but out and having someone, a coach who you can talk to. My wife is very, very important part of my support mechanism, not because she can help me answer the, the question that I'm stuck with or the situation or the issue that is causing the stress. But just to remind you again, that actually some of this stuff, just a common sense view of the world and some big picture context, which is, yeah, it sounds awful, but it's not the end of the world, is it? I'm sure you will find a way to work this out and there can't be that many options. I mean, what are they? And that kind of counsel is really helpful, I think, and not to be underestimated. You're in a sector that's taking in some very talented individuals with relatively little experience at the outset. Are you seeing differences in expectations, work ethic, attitude? I am. I have to take my own advice, keep reminding myself to step back and make sure that it's not just me, the the grouchy old mid-40s guy that says, oh, it was always different in my day. But I do think it is different. And, and others tell me they see it the same way. So I believe there is something in that. And we hire a lot of graduates, very smart graduates out of top schools. Of course, we also hire other levels in the firm. The median age of our company is 29, 30. So it's not what I call like an old workforce. It is a certain generation of workforce. I think a younger generation of employees want more and in a good way want more than what I probably thought I was entitled to when I started work is yes there's a compensation perspective but I want some purpose and meaning in what I'm doing here and maybe we were the naive ones we just assumed work was a bit more transactional than that and that we were told what to do and we did it and we got paid for it and we progressed and we got promised lofty career ambitions and future riches and all this kind of stuff definitely my sense is And it's a good thing. There's a generation now who see there's more to life than that, which makes it hard for managers of my generation, our generation, I would potentially say, Farley, to know how to steer and motivate and excite that generation of of employees. But that's something we have to learn. And, And like I say, I think it's a good thing. That change forces us as business leaders to think a bit harder about, okay, well, yeah, let's think about purpose and let's think about meaningful contribution and Let's think beyond the simplistic about what we do as a company and think a bit bigger about that. But we are 
deep, deep into that. You know, we are, as I say, the kind of people we're hiring are smart, intellectually curious, ambitious, worldly people, and they want more from us. What tips would you have for managers and leaders within the firm to get the best out of not just consultants, but, but also other functions? At some point in time, you find yourself level where so I know I really don't know the answer to the questions my team are working on. They have to work it out. But I see my role as one of yeah, trying to help them work out their own issues, help them find the best solutions in a different kind of way. So I think that's really important that it's the role as, as the helper, not just the task setter. I also think there's something, um, I think it's actually something you told me at one point, which stuck with me and I, I've been really trying to work on is, my role is a permission giver rather than a permission denier. That, as a, again, as a leader, it's not always about keeping everybody on the exact same path. It's about allowing people to explore new paths, sensible ones, and saying, listen, okay, let's have a go at that. You now have the permission, the blessing to have a go. Let's go and see what's down there. But I'll also keep you honest that if it's not going anywhere, we need to close it off pretty quickly and, and try and find another path. And I think that's really important for a company like ours. We are growing, we are innovating, we are transforming literally in front of my eyes as a company as we grow and scale this business. We have to try and work it out. So you need people that feel safe to kind of explore those things. They feel excited to do it. And again, that they feel there's meaning behind that, that they're all trying to do something. So I think that's what it's about. It's about giving the permission. It's about offering up the support. We're trying to create an environment where they're able to really do their best work and to help them navigate the company at a super senior level. And I think that's some of the value I can add. And is that the advice you'd give then to leaders of people throughout the organization? Or is there some difference between how you need to operate as CEO and how managers of teams? And I'm mindful that some of your teams form and disperse, presumably around clients and projects. It can't be the silver bullet for all leaders. I think there is a change in context as you move up and down an organization, around an organization. At some levels of the organization, someone has to actually make decisions, right? And has say, no, sorry, we're doing this. There's also, and it's different as well, between what I call the running of our company and the delivery of our product. Our product, as, as you just pointed out, as a consulting product, is teams that come together, work very hard and very intensively for one, two, three months, and then disband and then join the next project for the next client or so. The most important thing I could do for those kind of teams is that I did need to know the answer. Unlike running a finance organization or HR organization to build our business. I really don't know the answer. I have some gut feeling. And as an end customer of that, I have some experience. But in the projects, it was so important that the teams could see that as the real ultimate leader of the project, the partner, I did know what the answer was. And that they felt, ah, okay, right. He knows where we're going. Uh, he knows what it's got to look like at the end. Now we can get there together. And that was always super important. And then you can let them get on with it. That was really important. But that's really different, like I say, to a lot of my role now, where I really don't know the answer. I'd love to ask you one more question around the challenges of managing such a global organization. What are the ways in which you're trying, if you are, to unify the organization or create some sense of a shared purpose, shared culture? Growing something 20% year over year is on its own enough, but it's split across 
30 countries. I mean, some countries we have a handful of people, uh, some far-flung places now in very, very different cultures. And the biggest challenge is how do we do culture at scale? How do we do culture across a global footprint? We try and do our best on that. So once a year, and we've started again, we started last year, we'll do it again this year post-COVID, is we will bring the whole company together. And it costs a lot of money and it costs a lot of time and a lot of effort. But we do bring 2,000 people together in one place because we think that's important that everyone sees that, yes, I am part of a bigger thing, a bigger company, and that's really important. The other thing is that I and we go and see them where they are. You know, I have to say that has been, the the travel schedule is tough. Also nice being a co-CEO because you can literally divide the world in half. And it's a massive advantage. But yeah, I go and I really see the teams and I sit and I talk and I answer questions and I say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, it seems. But for many of these people, it's the first time they heard it. Or if they heard it on a town hall recording, on a Zoom call, it's the first time they get a chance to really ask a question about it. And I think that's the only way. And I'm not sure how long that scales for. Eventually, we'll stop expanding in different offices. We'll just get bigger where we are. But I think that's what we have to do. You have to tell the story. You have to explain where we're going. You have to reinforce these things. You have to bring people together. You have to make them see the bigger picture. And that takes real time and effort. On that note, Mark, thank you so much for taking the 30 minutes to talk to me today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Farley. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.